This is Dialogue Gospel Sunday Study. Good morning or good afternoon. Uh, Welcome to Dialogue Sunday Gospel Study. Uh, Today, May 9th, uh, 2021 with Sylvia Callis. Um, As a reminder, we meet on the second and fourth Sundays. We record the sessions and post them. Uh, You can find prior sessions through our website at dialoguejournal.com or by searching on YouTube. Uh, my name is Dalen Amasimaku, and I'll be conducting on behalf of the Dialogue Foundation Board. Um, other board members um, on today are Chris Kimball, Michael Austin, and Rebecca Deschwinitz. Um, uh, we are using our webinar uh, format on Zoom and running a live stream on Facebook. We're also recording this program. Uh, for viewers on Zoom, there is a chat function by which you can comment, ask questions, and propose answers. We also follow comments on Facebook and introduce questions from Facebook when appropriate. Um, Today, uh, the Dialogue Foundation is happy to announce the Sustaining Dialogue Fundraising Campaign. Uh, The objective is to create a fund that will produce enough increase to finance the journal and all of its associated resources in perpetuity. We have looked forward to this campaign and expected the move because we have made the journal itself as well as all 54 years of of archived issues and all of our new digital offerings, including this Sunday School series, um, our podcasts and our websites entirely free um, for online users. We were proud to do so and we believe it was um, the right thing to do, but it means we now need an alternate source of funding. We've spent the past few years figuring out how a digital model of um, uh, for the Dialogue Foundation might work. We've now set a budget and made a plan, and we might, um, excuse me, and we want to ask for your help to sustain Dialogue in perpetuity. Um, there's information on give dialogue uh, give to um, If you're on our mailing list, or um, yeah, in our mailing list, you um, you have or will shortly receive a booklet describing Dialogue's purpose and objectives and the capital campaign and ways to give. Um, So please contact us in any way you can, um, but we have an email address dedicated to this campaign. um, And that is sustainingdialogue at dialoguejournal.com. So please reach us there. Um, We'll try to add those links as well to um, the chat here. Um, So to start off today, we are extremely honored to have Sylvia Cavus as our instructor today. Uh, She has worked on gender equality and women's empowerment issues for over 20 years. Uh, currently, she is a senior technical advisor in the Gender Equality and Women's Empowerment Hub at the U.S. And, um, excuse me, U.S. Agency for in- International Development. Sylvia received a BA in History from UC Berkeley and an MA in International Relations from the School of Advanced um, International Studies of the John Hopkins Hopkins University, and served as a Peace Corps uh, volunteer in Cameroon. Sylvia was born in the Philippines um, and grew up in Southern California lived in Francophone uh, West Africa for nine years and now calls Washington DC home with her husband and eight-year-old son. Sylvia joined the church at the age of 27 between Peace Corps um, and grad school. She's a member of the Capitol Hill Ward in Washington DC and serves as a public affairs specialist despite uh, sending her ordained women profile to her bishop. Uh, As is always the case, the views expressed um, today are those of the individual participants and do not necessarily reflect uh, those of the Dialogue Foundation, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, uh, the United States government, or any other organization. Um, um, Today, I'll I'll go ahead and introduce our prayers as well. Um, Our opening um, prayer uh, will be offered by Sui Lang, um, Sui Lang L. Pinogi. 
Sui Lang is the founder of Women Politics Media and Rethink International. She has also been involved with initiatives to get more women and people of color um, elected to public office, uh, has served at Emily's List, the Congressional Black Caucus PAC, the DC Office of the Honorable James E. Clyburn, and the Young Democrats of America's Women's and Minority Caucus. Sui Lang holds an MPA from America's University School of Public Affairs with a certificate in women policy and political leadership. Uh, she earned her BS in political science from the University of Utah after completing her first year of undergrad at uh, Brigham Young University's Hawaii campus. She's a proud mother and recently took a position as the senior vice president of diversity, equity, and inclusion for Zions Bank. Um, so we'll now have our opening prayer uh, by uh, Sui Lang, and we'll also have music um, after that by the Notre Dame uh, Magnificat Choir um, singing Robert J. Powell's setting of Mary's Magnificat from the Gospel of Luke. And then Thank after you. that, we'll turn our time to Sylvia. Thank you so much, Daylin, for that beautiful introduction. I just wanted to say hello to my sister, Sylvia and Elaine. Um, so good to see you. I cannot think of a better way to start my Mother's Day. Uh, Chris, Rebecca, Michael, and everyone else who is tuning in, I have already felt a strong, strong spirit today. Um, so with that, uh, I am honored to offer the opening prayer for this lesson. Our dear, kind, and gracious Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the opportunity to gather here today uh, as brothers and sisters and children of our Heavenly Parents uh, to feast upon the words um, and, and guidance of our dear sister, Sylvia Cabas. Uh, we're so grateful for her commitment to uh, developing women and developing saints across the Capitol Hill area and across the country and around the world in the important, important work that she does. We're so grateful for her commitment to the Savior, Jesus Christ, and for the testimony uh, that she uh, will, will be sharing with all of us here today. We're so grateful for everyone who has had the opportunity to join in this conversation. We hope that they will be inspired to share uh, insights, impressions, um, uh, just words of the spirit that have spoken to them today in today's conversation. Uh, we're so grateful for uh, all of those mothers uh, and women, sisters, aunties, grandmothers, uh, and friends who serve in, in roles that empower uh, our children and our families. Uh, I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, hi, everyone. Um, thank you so much to Dialogue for inviting me. And welcome to Dialogue Sunday School on Mother's Day, the most emotionally fraught day for women on the Mormon liturgical calendar in a world where a woman's worth is positively correlated with her fertility status. Um, so thanks everyone for coming. Thanks to Amy Evans-Hickman who had invited me in December and to my dear sisters, Sui Lang and Elaine for graciously agreeing to do the opening and closing prayers because we are a church of voluntold after all. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about my own experience and um, my thoughts on Dr. Nekovina's chapter 46 to 50. Um, and I have to say my only, as a convert, my only kind of Molly Mormon cred is that when I was baptized, I wore a dress that I had sewn myself and I had a matching scrunchie. So that was, that was pretty much, that was pretty much it for me. Um, but as a convert, uh, knowing Dr. Incumbents meant that you are truly a member because everybody had a Book of Mormon. You can get a Book of Mormon at the store and literally you could get a Book of Mormon on the street. 
But owning a copy of Doctrine and Covenants, ideally in a leather-bound quad with your name embossed on it, meant that you had arrived as a member because you were ready to do a deep dive into church history. Doctrine and Covenants is an uncomfortable read for me. It is a series of dictates instead of an exciting blood and gore narrative like the Book of Mormon or the Bible. If I were to subtitle DNC, I would call it Poor Emma. Indeed, I will always associate DNC with Emma. She had a real role, even though the account of her role is filtered through men. I read Mormon Enigma as a new convert and really enjoyed it. And since I had not grown up in the church, I had not known that for much of Mormon history, Emma was vilified. I once had the opportunity to work with a member of the community of Christ and discussing Emma with him was like the mirror mirror episode of Star Trek, where we had traditionally seen Emma as a villain in the community of Christ, she is venerated. In that mirror universe, we are the Sunni Mormons and the community of Christ are the Shiite Mormons. Much of my feminist understanding of Doctrine Covenants is colored by polygamy or technically polygyny. Um, and it's kind of like knowing the difference between matriarchal and matrilineal. You can still have a matrilineal society and a patriarchal society at the same time. That is to say, for example, that that's the uncle on your mother's side who, um, who presides over everything. So I had thought a lot about polygamy as a historical artifact until I went through the temple on my own and then started reading the history of the women in the church. And my understanding is fully, further influenced by my own personal experience with polygamy. My husband is a Moroccan Muslim and we got married in Morocco. Morocco, except for a small community of Jews and expatriate Christians, the Moroccan Jews and expatriate Christians is an officially Muslim country. Yet when we got married, Islamic family law allowed my husband to give up the right to polygamy. We have a clause in our marriage contract where he specifically says he gave, gives up his right to a second or third or fourth wife, um, in addition to a number of, of other um, clauses. Shortly after our marriage, the family law had changed and in order to take a second wife, you have to seek the authorization from a judge, including proving your financial status can support a second wife and permission from the first wife. So that's an excellent example of maintaining a religious tradition while in all practicality making it impossible. In American Mormondom, bigamy is illegal and yet polygamy remains in the afterlife, regardless of whether the spouse, either spouse or spouses want it. As a woman married to a non-member and not sealed in the temple, for all intents and purposes, I am a single woman in the eyes of the church, and in the afterlife, a free-floating particle, whereas my husband will reside in the Muslim paradise with 72 virgins. So back to the Doctrine and Covenants. When I think of DNC, I think of the following. The history of American Christianity class at UC Berkeley, where every Mormon kid on campus attended the lecture on Joseph Smith. I think of malaria. I've had malaria several times, which is a harrowing experience, even with modern medicine. And malaria is the catalyst for many accounts of blessing and healing in the Doctrine and Covenants. Let's bring dancing back to the temple. I would love that, that'd be awesome. Um, I think of missionary work and the origins of the international church versus the Americanizing church. In my own field, we talk about decolonizing international relations, but are we talking about decolonizing church? Spoiler alert, not really. And I hope that we all remember that it takes resources, time and privilege to be a member of the church in many countries around the world. And when you look through the uh, 
chapters um, that we're studying today, there's some pretty crazy stuff going on. Speaking in tongues and lots of other things that we don't talk about so much, but also exist in other evangelical churches. And those are usually the reasons why revelations came to pass because Joseph Smith asked, asked the Lord, is it okay if we speak in tongues? And clearly the Lord said no. And in DNC, we see the saints building the wireframes of the church while on the move, exploding the standard Christian model of marriage, sending people and sending people overseas to US colonies like American Samoa as missionaries. We also see some practices that were reversed or erased, evidence that black members received the priesthood and that women had healing and blessing authorities. In the same way that we talk about the direct line of the priesthood, there is a direct line between those early midwives and the baby shower blessings I've had and that I've witnessed. What does DNC mean for members like myself who have no pioneer heritage? Every year on Pioneer Day, we get to talk about we're all pioneers, but I have been a member long enough to tease a colleague that he had a polygamous family name He's not LDS. And a neighbor asked me why everyone assumes he's LDS because his name is Brigham Walker. And I think of the missed opportunities um, in founding the church. Why did we follow the austere Protestants rather than the flamboyant Catholics? When I took the endowments for the first time, I was completely unfazed by the experience because as someone who was raised in the Catholic church, which is very interactive and ceremonial, the temple endowment ceremony was very familiar. Honestly, the only element that was missing in the temple was the incense. So DNC chapters 46 to 50 were an attempt to codify, correct, and streamline the early church. How to conduct meetings under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. But don't be deceived by false spiritual promptings. Spiritual gifts are distinguished from spiritual blessings. That is to say, what we receive versus what we give. And the admonishment to keep a regular history. But whose history? I am privileged to have met and talked to with many Mormon feminist historians and have read the works of other um, feminist historians of the church. We are learning more, for example, that there is, um, we're learning more and more about our own history. And right now, for example, there is a Mormon suffragette tour of BC. But these things are still not part of the regular church curriculum. And of course, we know about Jane Manning James and Elijah Abel, whose stories are now on the official church websites but are relegated to sidebars in the official curricula. And there are probably many countless others whose stories remain unknown. Excuse me. In many ways, DNC is where the church's discomfort with the notion of the loyal opposition is cemented. The idea of belonging to and supporting an institution and still be critical of it for the betterment of the institution at the end is a foreign one for probably the majority of members. Certainly under the last presidential administration, many of us learned what it truly meant to act as the loyal opposition. For myself, I feel like I became good friends with the ethics lawyer at work. Growing up Catholic, the loyal opposition was a given. I believe that in Catholic history, it stemmed from the Jesuits who functioned as an alternative to people power. The governing principles of Catholic social teaching allowed this loyal opposition to manifest in ordinary lives. I was surprised and happy, for example, that the traditional all-girls Catholic school that I attended featured in the pandemic issue of the alumni magazine, several alums, including myself, participating in BLM protests. Why? Because our actions correspond to the CST principles of call to the family, community, and participation, and solidarity. And CST is not a fringe concept. It is so ingrained in American Catholicism 
that it is taught as part of the curriculum and is one of the agreements I made when I worked for an international Catholic organization. What is the Mormon equivalent of Catholic social teaching? Why is it that members can commit to follow the prophet as a sacred principle and yet refuse to wear a mask or get vaccinated or refuse to believe BLM is a legitimate movement when the prophet has actually said all those things? So some kind of dissent is tolerable as we saw with the Captain Moroni imagery in the January 6th insurrection, but others are not. For example, when people were so upset about women wearing pants to church. So the early saints attempt to organize themselves is reflected in the experience of members outside of North America. I hope, for example, that someone is documenting the growth of the church in Africa. When I lived in Nairobi in 1999-2000, I attended a small branch. The other foreigners were a Peace Corps volunteer who took the bus for, se for a several hour round trip to and from her post and an embassy family. I was called to be an advisor to the Relief Society presidency. Even though I was a newish convert and there were sisters who had been members longer than I had been, because I was an American, I was the default expert. That little branch is now part of a larger stake and the temple has been announced. During my time, members endured a, an expensive multi-day bus ride across four countries to get to the temple in Johannesburg. And soon there will be a temple in the city. I wonder now if the young Kenyans who had recently graduated from BYU and returned to the branch are now in the church leadership. If they have toned down the Kenyan traditions to resemble the Utah wards that most likely they had been taught to be the right model. I had the privilege of attending an endowment session in the temple in Accra, Ghana, which has many beautiful African signs, African designs, motifs, and symbols. My session was full of sisters going through their first time, and the session was in one of the local languages. The many in my head was of a woman who had lived in, in the 18th century in England, the exact period that slavery was ravaging Ghana. It would be outside of her imagination to think of her entry to the celestial kingdom to be facilitated by a Filipino-American woman accompanied by African sisters. And whenever I attend the little branch in my parents' hometown in the Philippines, the missionaries and the members always look depressed when I tell them I'm only visiting. I'm sure if I lived there, I would have at least three callings. Once again, as an American, I am considered an expert in the church. Another principal theme of the chapters in DNC is marriage. Ah, oh, marriage. To be a 27-year-old single convert in grad school when the state president's wife told me that I was priced out of the Utah marriage market. This is where our family turned into a cautionary tale for church public affairs, and when I turned down an interview opportunity with NPR. Because we're such a photogenic family, and if you're friends with me on Facebook, you can see how, uh, what a cutie my, my son is, excuse me. We were asked by the church PR office if we were available for photos in famous Washington DC sites. The other photogenic family was photographed in front of the DC temple. So our photos were in front of the Supreme Court. And those are the photos that were used on the church's website when the SCOTUS decision on marriage equality was announced. I quickly posted on Mormons Building Bridges, the Facebook group for LGBT allies, that we supported marriage equality despite the church's official stance. This was quickly picked up by the media and I got a Facebook message from the NPR station in Salt Lake. I knew once they realized I was a resident of Washington DC that this story would go national. So I said, no, I don't trust myself to speak on that big of a national forum, although here I am in dialogue. 
One thread consistently through DNC is the history of Relief Society and the role of women. As I've said before, I feel like the subtitle of DNC should be Poor Emma. And in chapter 48, we talk about the Relief Society's role in compassionate service. What is the opposite of compassionate service, I wonder? Is it resentful service? Because that's often how I feel, even though it's very uncharitable of me. My entire career has been focused on gender equality in developing countries. It is an incredible feat of cognitive dissonance to work on these issues Monday to Friday and to question their absence every Sunday. During my discussion with Amy Hickman when she taught Dialogue Sunday School, I pointed out that my son is reaching the age where his authority will be nurtured and recognized publicly. He will be saying the sacrament prayers that I could only read in private and with authority that I do not have. How do I raise a feminist son in this environment when there are already so few resources in mainstream life? I am heartened that he has an incredible role model in his family and his father, who truly is an equal partner and whom he sees regularly cooking and cleaning. We are lucky that Muhammad comes from a culture where men are openly and physically demonstrative. We're also lucky that at church he sees on a regular basis men who show emotion at the pulpit and who are nurturing and affectionate toward their families. <laughs> Every Sunday he sees a dad leaving the chapel to change a diaper or to calm a fussy child. And yet for Zaki's baby blessing, Muhammad had the more visible and prominent role as an adjunct to the blessing circle. Whereas I, the person who actually gave birth and the actual member was sidelined in the pews. While I'm grateful that our ward welcomes my husband as an honorary member, his recognition was because of his sex, not because of his membership status. And I'd like to end my talk with some thoughts on Heavenly Mother on Mother's Day today, um, inspired by today's festivities and the news that Fiona Gibbons was fired from the Maxwell Institute at BYU for her perspectives on Heavenly Mother. I'm angry and frustrated, but probably most sadly of all, not surprised. This is all part of the glacial incremental dance that take place when it comes to organizational change in the church. In Doctrine and Covenants, these changes came frequently and rapidly, but now it takes a year's social media campaign to get a woman to pray in that general conference, which didn't happen until 2013. But I am encouraged by efforts by faithful members such as my friends MacArthur, Krishna, and Bethany Brady Spalding, whose book, A Boy's Guide to Heavenly Mother, is a treasured part of our gospel library. So on this Mother's Day, I conclude with a lot of love and gratitude to my own mother, my mother in heaven, and in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Sylvia. Um, I think someone in here mentioned that there's so many things you brought up that, you know, that aren't, aren't spoken about um, in regular Mormon um, Mormondom, I guess. Um, one of the things that came to my mind, someone made a comment here, uh, a Suzanne Hannah. She said, uh, this is our problem. We're all married in the pioneer sensibility in which there's a do or die us or them mentality. The centuries of Catholicism allows them to benefit from having a global church with all those realities. Um, she says, I hope it doesn't take us that long. Um, and I think of, you know, maybe is is that part of it? You know, the how young the church is, how American the church is, you know, it. And how much more is it? Is it one or the other, or is it a combination of things? Yeah, I have a couple of thoughts on that. I mean, it's true that um, the Catholic Church has a much, much, you know, centuries-long history, but it's also true that it it advanced in modernity pretty quickly. Um, you know, I was born after the Second Vatican Council, where a lot of big decisions were made, including 
holding uh, church services in the local language. And so I actually, even though I'm from the Philippines and grew up in California, it's two very Catholic places. I did not hear my first mass in Latin until I was a Peace Corps volunteer in Cameroon because all the Cameroonian grandmas and grandpas had been educated at the mission school in Latin. Um, and then my second thought is, and again, I'm not a formal historian of American Christianity. Um, overseas, I saw a lot of the Seventh-day Adventists. And so their model, even though they were founded around the same time as the Mormon church, is very different in which they go and literally entrench themselves as families overseas. And so they seem so much more integrated in the host country than our missionaries who go for two years and then come back. Um, so that's what I'm thinking of, um, both in terms of the history and also the parallel experiences of other churches. I wanted to invite Elaine and Sulang also to participate as if they have thoughts to share about um, what Sylvia's talked about and um, and this question of what is the meaning of the doctrine and covenants to you? And I and I've loved hearing about um, this book in relationship to Sylvia's experiences. And um, and there's a comment about like the cultural context and our own personal experiences making or what makes scripture right um, that. Um, and give it meaning and give it power in our lives. Um, yeah. Uh, Andy Pitcher Davis, who's following us on Facebook, says we are all Emma in a way. <laughs> and I'm wondering, uh, you know, you know, maybe if we think about that, um, what is Emma's answer to some of these questions and problems and themes that, that you've identified? Yeah, I. what would Emma think? My first uh, inclination is, does she have time to think? I mean, she was a pioneer woman in the original sense. She was trying to keep people alive in like the worst circumstances. Um, I don't envy her position because in a lot of ways she didn't have choice or agency. In that era, you followed your husband and thank goodness she had enough to do so, but I'm sure there were so many moments of personal crisis for her. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess we're all Emma in, in some way. And it's interesting that we say that we're all Emma, but we're not all Eliza or we're not all Emmeling. You know, why is it that we focus on Emma as um, a tragic and inspiring figure at the same time? Rebecca, happy to share thoughts. Um, wow, I, I just want to honor Sylvia. <laughs> um, as a sister, as a saint, uh, everything that you shared is brave, courageous, inspired, empowering, and motivating. And it, it's just a breath of fresh air. Um, thank you so much. And also honoring you as a mother. I cannot believe Zach is eight years old. I remember when Zach was a hope in your heart and through your faith, uh, you have just, I mean, blossomed into this beautiful mother and shining example of what being a Latter-day Saint 
means to all of us, um, called culture in the church is so influential. Um, these are conversations that I'm constantly being pulled into. Uh, living on Capitol Hill with you and Elaine in the Capitol Hill ward. Wow, culture vastly different from where I live right now, currently in Salt Lake City, Utah. And I can attest that my, I was truly converted on Capitol Hill. Um, and being exposed to such a broad range of cultures is what perfects the saints. That is what softens our hearts. And you, Sylvia, being such an international, global world traveler, having that exposure and being able to share it with Americans, I think is absolutely part of your divine purpose. Um, with that said, as we all, whoever is zooming in here today, uh, are experiencing vastly different cultures in the communities in which we live. Um, and experiencing the church in those different cultures creates a vastly different experience, um, which for me, I have really had to align myself directly with our savior. Um, so that that relationship is so uh, strong um, and, and clear that regardless of what environment, culture, region, community I may be living in or operating in at the time, uh, my testimony doesn't waver. So I, I throw that out to the group and especially to Sylvia, I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you do that. Because uh, you do it so beautifully and brilliantly. And, you know, what, what keeps you here? What keeps you grounded in the faith? Uh, well, people like you, having you as my Relief Society president made a huge difference. Um, and having our, <clears throat> sorry, I love you all. Um, having you and Elaine and other friends in our ward and in the larger Mormon feminist community um, have really made a big difference um, in my testimony. I often tell people if uh, if I weren't Mormon, I'd be on Pedialyte and vodka all the time. Thankfully, I'm not. Um, but I like to hand this over also to Elaine, who's someone I also love and greatly admire, who has forged a path that um, is a wonderful model for, for me as well. Um, that's so kind of you, Sylvia, because I don't see myself as a, a forger or a pioneer in any way. Um, and I think I can attest, you know, you'll you'll hear us, those of us who are in the Capitol Hill ward have very, I think have, will just rave about our experiences in this ward. Um, I think especially those of us who, um, who are people of color or who may have found themselves outside of the standard mainstream, approach or thought um, that is often, I mean, when you ask what Doctrine and Covenants means to me, I mean, it's often felt like uh, very much this restrictive structure about this is one, this is the way, the right way about how righteous disciples and members of the church are going to approach living the gospel and approach church culture and church doctrine. Um, and so for those of us who maybe see things a different way or have a different experience or um, different lenses, 
it can be really exhausting. Church can be a very exhausting, draining experience. Um, um, and, and I've heard of this from my friends, um, my, my wonderful black sisters in the Black Lives Movement who just talk about how exhausting it is to always be the one who's speaking up and being like this reference point to, to give this alternate opinion or alternate view or, or be this source of information for people all the time. Um, and coming to the Capitol Hill Ward was, I think, such a gift for so many of us because we were able to spread that responsibility around um, because there were so many people there who were open to different ideas, open to different approaches, who who had a different way of viewing the world, and and who who were willing to teach and help and guide and and be true disciples and servants of Christ in the way that it counted, in in the ways that it it wasn't about demanding like these strict letter of the law interpretations of things, but it was really about living the spirit of the law and and um, striving to be kind and loving and and understanding and compassionate no matter what your circumstances. And we we have not all been perfect at it, um, but I think it has been a refuge for us in many in many ways. And Sylvia, I mean, Sylvia and Sui, um, particularly as incredibly intelligent women with, with a vast amount of knowledge who were willing to share, even though I know at many times it was exhausting for them. It was a huge responsibility, um, but they did it and they showed up. I'm thinking about the juxtaposition of, of Sylvia, you identified one of the themes of these chapters in the DNC as being to codify, correct, and streamline, right? And then this vision of, and this example from the Capitol Hill Ward in DC um, of, of thinking creatively about the gospel and what it looks like and can look like in our lives. Um, and yeah, so, so I'm struck by that um, and by kind of what can we, how can we, um, <laughs> I get Pringles for Mother's Day. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so, you know, how can we like decolonize and and the doctrine and covenants and um, and find something kind of more um, uh, kind of other other ways to think about um, the gospel and and its manifestation uh, in our church congregations and in our communities and in the lar larger global world. I'm also thinking, Sylvia, about you know, you, your experiences abroad in the LDS church and how, you know, you're called on as the, as the American expert, right? <laughs> Who's got all of the answers for what, uh, for what the message should be and what things should look like. Um, my husband had a, uh, had a similar experience. Um, he was in Liberia shortly after the civil war ended and, and had attended, uh, and attended a LDS, um, um, meeting and you know they're they call him up 
to to speak to everyone as if he's got some kind of he's some fountain of wisdom and and uh yeah um and and even in that case this kind of american dominance and kind of colonial way of framing the church overcomes some of the gender hierarchies right so so that's uh some of the things that i'm kind of thinking about in this conversation yeah, Rebecca, from what I understand from your first question, it's how do you replicate the one true ward of Capitol Hill Ward elsewhere? <laughs> um, and I I don't know. Um, I have very fond memories of my the ward I was baptized in in California. And I have very fond memories of our ward in Little Rock, which um, some uh, folks has characterized as the worst of Utah Mormonism overlaid with Southern evangelicism. And yet um, I had a, had a very positive experience there. So I don't know if it's one particular factor, if it's the demographics or if it's uh, leadership roulette or if it's distance from Salt Lake or I don't know what it is. What I am curious is um, what it's like for church in other predominantly uh, black areas such as Harlem or Atlanta, Detroit, Oakland if their struggles with um, participation and retention are similar to ours, because I feel like our ward is exceptional in so many ways, because we are in the heart of Washington, DC. We have many transient members. Uh, we have a huge um, age range from interns and nannies to retired folks. Um, so I don't know, um, I don't know exactly what could be replicated. Um, and then for your second question about um, the international church and what that means, um, I, I really feel like the way we do missionary work and the way we talk about things at general conference and our official um, publications is very much an American model. Um, and, you know, for our brothers and sisters in Canada or in Europe, you know, that's okay. But I don't know how that translates into places where like Sub-Saharan Africa. I remember, um, for example, a Relief Society activity I went to where the sisters were taught to sew panels onto their outfits so that they could be more modest. Um, I had um, an experience when I lived in Nairobi where the decision was made to hold all the services in English rather than Kiswahili, which introduced um, a socioeconomic dynamic that I felt um, limited a lot of people from participating. People would come up and uh, apologize during fasting testimony, meaning as they started their testimony, I'm sorry, my English is so bad. Whereas in Tanzania, the church was in Kiswahili the whole time and to be honest, for me and the Peace Corps volunteer who was already knew Kiswahili and the embassy family, like we would have been happy to sit through church, not understanding everything as long as the other members benefited. So there are a lot of decisions that I feel like were made to um, either in isolation from the local culture or in a way to um, promulgate American Mormon culture overseas. And I can only speak of my own experiences. Um, I've had so many wonderful experiences overseas um, uh, that I can't really generalize. 
Um, and I haven't been to church very much in Europe. Um, one uh, dynamic that um, in my um, experiences in going to church in, in France and Switzerland, um, because my in-laws um, uh, live in France, um, there doesn't seem to be acknowledgement that the, that the church in France is an African church. You don't see that reflected in the leadership or in the materials. Um, so I think these are all demographic challenges that the church, I'm sure, has a committee to address, but I haven't seen it in my own, in my own experience. Thank you so much, Sylvia. Um, it is my honor to introduce my mother. <laughs> who is my greatest gift here on Mother's Day. We get to spend that together. I uh, just wanted to turn the time to her. She had a couple of thoughts. I'm not sure what um, all of you sisters are, you know, um, focusing on besides the beautiful gospel that we believe, we believe in. Anyway, I just really feel that, you know, our church globally, as we speak about that, yesterday, today, and tomorrow, it will always be the same because we belong to the true church of, the, of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I know if we meet all situations and circumstances with unconditional love and with acceptance, we will always be in the right. And um, it's, it's just such a beautiful thing. And I know we will all be in the Lord's errand. I remember at one time they were focusing it was a topic that we were on the Lord's errand. And I remember that all the time because every moment, um, every moment when we live in the moment, I feel that that is when magical things happen and uh, miracles begin and timing is everything. And so many times things that are gonna come throughout our life path it only comes once or it very seldom comes when it's just such a beautiful thing and it just happens and everything flows right in order and, and it's just beautiful and you have all the tingling feelings and it's it's so special to belong to a society of Relief Society women. And it's so great to see Elaine. I remember when, when I got to be with you and, and a lot of the women there in um, the DC ward and when the ward was, um, I think it was a store formerly, and then um, Safeway. It, yeah, and then when Suey, when I went up to see them, and they were um, dedicating, and oh my gosh, the spirit there's just so beautiful. And I know when I was there attending, also um, that is one, or actually the most beautiful, beautiful true church upon the face of this earth. It's just. Um, the spirit there just touches everyone. I mean, you know, we're always welcoming um, people walking. They would just walk into the door. <laughs> and everyone was always just welcoming to, to whoever um, was at the door. And we knew that that was part of the Lord's spirit. But anyway, I don't want to take any more time. But um, this great Mother's Day, it's just so, it's an honor for me. Um, I just happen to be visiting Sue. And she goes, oh, mom, do you want to? come and be with me. I thought, oh my gosh, thank you. But anyway, it's so beautiful to see all of you and those of you that are um, within our, our Zoom meeting. 
but um, yeah, I love the Lord very much with all my heart and bless all the moms that are here um, on earth and all those that have crossed over and all those that haven't come forth yet that are going to be mothers, but happy Mother's Day. That's my mom. <laughs> hey, just one quick final note. Um, and I want to recognize this that Jody England that posted a comment in the chat. Um, on this, in the spirit of diversity, equity, and inclusion, which is the line of work that I um, live in professionally, uh, to Sylvia's point earlier, differences. We, we are all different. Um, as we talk about, and sorry to be promoting this pride on Capitol Hill narrative, um, but you know, when we have a model on earth, I think it's important to showcase that, uh, to honor that and describe what that looks like and what it feels like so we can continue to duplicate and replicate in other areas of the world. Um, but we embrace differences. Um, I think that diversity, um, socially, culturally, ethnically, racially, politically, even on Capitol Hill, can you imagine that? Uh, yes, uh, across the aisle, uh, we'll come together and worship Christ, uh, finding unity. And I remember this, the mission of the Capitol Hill Ward that we built under, I believe it was Bishop Parker or Dane, but it was building Zion on Capitol Hill. And just in retrospect, now that I live in Salt Lake City, Utah, I'm working for Zion's Bank. <laughs> we are here building Zion in Salt Lake City. And it's embracing our differences. The equity piece, well, the inclusion piece is creating a culture in which people from all walks of life, even of all faiths, feel comfortable, welcome, that they belong, that they can feel the spirit of our savior, that he, yes, indeed loves every single one of us. There is no social hierarchy. Um, that whole ethnocentric vision of, or, or thought of American culture really bothers me uh, because we, there, there's a reason why we use terms like set apart and not set above, if that makes, dif uh, if that makes sense, it's very subtle, very significant. And that equity tool, the equity piece is everything. That speaks to the manner in which we engage with one another, the manner in which we do our outreach, we serve our communities, we even talk and communicate to one another. It's again, very subtle, but significant. Are we speaking with love? Are we serving in love? Um, and that is what I have taken away from this conversation. So just wanted to honor Jody, women, especially in this church, which can oftentimes be perceived and experienced as a patriarchal organization and institution. We as women, we are built to endure, to endure, to acknowledge, to humble ourselves naturally and to love and forgive. And that is exactly what you have done um, and exactly what I believe Christ will encourage all of us to do in those types of circumstances. So I applaud you. If I can just hop on for one second, just to respond to a few things that Sui Lang was saying. Um, and, and, and this is, and I'm once again, apologies to everyone, but using our Capitol Hill board is sort of an example of, of a, wider, a wider structure. Um, it is 
I mean, we talk about it being this wonderful, inclusive environment, but there are actually some people who are uncomfortable in our ward. And I have actually recently spoken to several like sisters who I really love and admire, who often feel uncomfortable, um, who maybe maybe perceived as coming from a more conservative or traditional background, and some of the some of the discussions that we've had in Relief Society or um, even some of the leadership we've had or activities that we've had have actually made them feel uncomfortable and excluded. Um, that their that their beliefs and what their experiences are and what their expectations are aren't being honored. Um, and when I when I first heard about this, when I first discovered this, it was absolutely shocking to me because my my experience has been the complete opposite. And and it's eye opening to know that. Um, change can be really uncomfortable for a lot of people, especially when when it's perceived as, um, I don't know, I don't want to say wrong or incorrect, but as as perhaps not not the right way or or recommended way or the common way that it's that it's usually done. Um, and as you know, as per perhaps as like progressive members of the church who are seeking for more inclusivity, understanding how how that understanding people's reactions and hesitance um, to it, I think can be can be maddening and can make us very angry and can make us fight harder or make us throw up our hands and give up and just say, I'm, you know, I'm done. I'm I'm done trying to convince everyone that, you know, it's it's okay to speak in a different language or have different color skin or or it's it's okay to not be comfortable in the temple or to empathize with Emma and have issues with Joseph Smith. Like these are actually okay things. Um, let's let's talk about them. And I I think um, it just makes me more grateful for for platforms like this that are allowing sort of different viewpoints and ideas to be shared um, without without judgment um, or condemnation. And I think that's how things start to change that that we honor and recognize that this is going to be uncomfortable for some people but i'm still going to share this truth i'm still going to do this i'm i'm going to try to hang in there i'm going to find i'm going to find my people and my tribe because they strengthen me but also try my best to include those who have different opinions because i want to be included among those um to you know that very basic to treat other people the way we want to be treated is one of the most difficult things to actually put into practice. Um, but I think that that's how we actually see change happening and we're seeing it slowly and slowly, you know, but hopefully it will continue and it will, will build momentum as, as we continue to be more compassionate and listen to each other and be more open to these different ideas. Thank you. Thank you so much, um, everyone for, um, your beautiful message, um, Sylvia, uh, the beautiful, absolutely beautiful and powerful uh, testimonies that were shared today. Um, I, I mean, everyone has shared again on the chat and think how, how, um, how inspiring um, it's been today. Um, we're gonna, I'll, I'll give, maybe Sylvia has a couple last words she wants to, um, she wants to share. Um, but before we do, I'll just mention that we'll have our closing prayer by, um, by Elaine. 
Um, and then please tune in um, for our upcoming Dialogue Fireside on May 16th at 6 um, with Marlena Wilden on Art, the Spiritual Language of the Soul. Um, and additionally, our next gospel study will be May 23rd with ecosystem, um, excuse me, ecosystem ecologist Ben Abbott. Um, thank you again so much, everyone, for being here today and all those who've shared um, through the comments um, as well. Um, Sylvia, um, if you have any last, um, any last comments. Sure. Um, so, so I, I uh, clicked on the Q&A. Uh, there's a question from Brother Paul. Um, how have you and your husband agreed to teach or raise your family in terms of religion? Um, and I'd like to take a minute to respond to that because it's a question I get all the time. Um, there are a lot of Muslim families, believe it or not. Um, I think maybe because of um, our compatible lifestyles, pork, no pork. I'm firmly in the pro-pork camp, uh, but that's probably the only thing that we have to negotiate in addition to the raising our child. <laughs> um, so this is a discussion I had extensively uh, with my husband um, and I, he's not here and I hesitate to speak on his behalf, but the way he has explained to me is that for him, Islam is part of his Moroccan identity rather than the the religion of its own. So he wants our son to understand what it means to be a Muslim in Morocco, um, which um, is an interesting experience here in America because there are so many different Muslim uh, traditions here in America, you know, Nation of Islam, uh, immigrants from many different countries, um, and, and so on. And so uh, unfortunately his mosque is not as organized as art in terms of um, kids. And so Zaki has by default become more Mormon. Um, but we do try to maintain a lot of the traditions. So right now we have a Ramadan advent calendar where Zaki reads a book about Islam every day and we have a calendar. He gets a little Hershey's kiss every day. And we also have a countdown garland. He takes off a loop every day for the 30 days of Ramadan. And we do the same thing for Christmas. Um, and so there are a lot of ways that uh, we try to impart both traditions. Um, I found the book by Susan Katz Miller being both to be very illuminating. Um, and we're also lucky in that uh, we don't feel like we're in competition with each other in terms of religion. I feel like if I had married a Catholic or an Episcopalian or another Christian, it would be in a lot of what upmanship is like, you know, my Bible translation is better than yours, or in my case, I have more books of scripture than you do, but that's certainly not the case for Islam. Um, and, you know, I am confident that Zaki will find his own path. Um, it's been hard uh, during pandemic times because he doesn't have that warm embrace of primary, um, but he has his uh, former primary um, song leader who might be on this call brother Hopkins, um, who meets with him every Sunday via FaceTime, and they just talk about everything from soccer to what does the word revelation mean. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what he ends up deciding. Um, but for right now, he, he gets twice as many holidays. So thanks for your question. Thank you, everyone. Yes, so we'll have Elaine with the closing prayer. And of course, as always, as much time as Sylvia has after this, we can stay for a discussion. Any other questions that may come up? 
Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful to be able to close off this inspiring and interesting lesson with the gift that is Sylvia Cabas, who speaks her truth with such honesty and bravery um, and has helped us to approach and understand these chapters in the Doctrine and Covenants from a different lens than we usually hear. We're so grateful for this fellowship in the church. We desire to better ourselves and the world around us. Please help us to see the world with eyes enhanced by the spirit that will always recognize and be grateful for the virtuous and the beautiful, but also notice the pain and the injustice and the broken things and to react to them as Christ would. Help us to mourn with those who mourn and succor those who stand in need of succor. Help us to acknowledge and focus on our strengths and strive to uplift and support each other. We are striving to live in a manner that encourages the spirit to dwell with us always. Please help us, Father. Um, help us to navigate the often fraught cultural and doctrinal challenges of being a disciple of Christ as a Mormon. Help us to do this with grace and courage and inspiration. Thank you for the atonement and the example that Christ sets for us. We are grateful for all that we have, for our privileges, our opportunities, and even our challenges. We ask that thou wilt be with us, and we pray for these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening you. to the Dialogue Gospel Sunday Study. Find more of our podcasts at dialoguejournal.com slash podcasts.